podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, hey, uh, good morning again. And by the way, my name is Michael, in case you didn't recognize me. Um, I had a lengthy winter beard going on and Summer's around the corner, so I decided to chop it off for the most part. And so some people kind of were like, whoa, who, who, who is this? So, um, so it is me. Um, and by the way, I did discover this is like an instant weight loss trick. <laughs> Just grow like a really long beard, chop it off. It's like you lost 10 pounds. It's awesome. So that's a freebie. That's a freebie. But <laughs> I don't know how to transition out of that. But um, um, have you ever... Uh, been in a situation where you were just like really in the grips of fear or worry or anxiety. Uh, Sometime this past year, I had a meeting I was going to be going into, and I was just really anxious about it, if I'm honest. Uh, And I was afraid, uh, and in particular, I was afraid of, of getting hurt. And I was in a vulnerable season. I'd experienced a lot of pain, and so I was afraid of being hurt again. And, and there's good reason for that. And so this is really doing a number on me. I almost canceled the meeting because I just wasn't sure I could do it. But three nights uh, before this meeting, I had a dream. And it was a vivid dream. Uh, it was lucid. It was clear. And, and in this dream, it's as though I was witnessing the meeting taking place. And, and there was nothing but love coming from the people I was meeting with. And it was just a beautiful time and so I woke up, and I'm like, wow, that was amazing. And I actually woke up just feeling so loved. And so I started thinking, you know, could that be prophetic, like a prophetic dream? And I, I believe in that kind of thing, but I'm like, that just seems too good to be true. And, and so it was hard for me to let myself believe that that might be what this was. I was just so locked in this cage of worst-case scenario thinking that it was hard for me to see past it. But then I began to wonder, maybe God is trying to encourage me through us, that, that it's okay, that, that I can relax, that I can stop worrying, that he's with me in this. Well, three days later, this meeting happened, and you know what? It was exactly as I dreamed it. There was just nothing but love coming from the people I was meeting with that I was so, you know, worried about and afraid and anxious, but it was just nothing but love. It was exactly as I dreamed it. And I was just like, wow. And so what that underscored for me is is that we, we serve this amazing God who loves to come to us in our darkest moments and surprise us with his presence and bring us his peace. And that's what we're going to learn about today, that, that, that Jesus Christ is the God who brings peace. In our darkest moments, he loves to come to us and surprise us with his presence. In our most anxious moments, he wants to bring us his peace. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 20, verse 19, or you can follow along on the screens. Now, last week we were in John chapter 21, but I felt like just to go back to this story here in John chapter 20, and, and here's the setting. It's, it's the evening of, of Easter Sunday, uh, and earlier in the day, some of the women uh, who were followers of Jesus went to the tomb where he had been buried, and, and they discovered something just remarkable, namely that the tomb was empty, that Jesus' body 
was missing. Now, initially, they're distraught. They thought someone stole the body, but then an angel appears to them and tells them the good news that Jesus has risen. And sometime after that, we're actually told that Jesus himself appeared to these women, and he gave them a a, a, a mission. He he said, I want you to go to my other disciples. I want, want you to tell them that I have risen uh, and, and, and that I'm going to meet them in Galilee. And so where we pick up this story, uh, the disciples are, are gathered together uh, and they have heard the news of Jesus' resurrection, but, the resurrection, but they have not yet seen or, or, or encountered the risen Christ, okay? So we pick it up here, John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week. Now, uh, John tells us that it was evening in part because, well, it was the evening. And so he's kind of just describing the, the scenario. But you have to know that John, first of all, in ancient texts, they did not waste words. Like paper was at a premium, right? So they did not waste words. So anytime there's like a word, like there's probably some significance to it. And also we know that John was a master storyteller. So part of what he's doing is he's sort of setting the mood. It's evening. And what he's trying to help us feel is that this was their this was a dark hour for the disciples. This was like their darkest moment. Okay, so John tells us on the evening of that first day of the week, and by the way, the first day of the week is actually Sunday. Uh, You might not know that. Uh, You might think the first day of the week is Monday, uh, because in our culture, we live as if the first day of the week is Monday, right? And so I just have to wonder what might happen if we could shift our first day from Monday to Sunday, to shift the beginning of our week from work to worship. Because that's what this is about. I think that might change everything for us. So John tells us on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together. Now, we're not told exactly uh, who was in this group of disciples. At the very least, this is 10 of the apostles. So uh, Judas, obviously, he's not there. He, he betrayed Jesus. Thomas, we're told later in the chapter, was not there. But the, at least the rest of the 10 are there. Maybe many others. We don't know exactly. Uh, but at the very least, the 10. Uh, and we're not told exactly where they are, but in Luke 24, which is a, a parallel account, it, it says that they were in a house in Jerusalem. So many think this could very well be the upper room that we read about in Acts chapter 1. But either way, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked. Now, why are the doors locked? Well, it says for fear. Disciples, they're they're huddled in this room. They're hiding out, uh, and they're filled with fear. The Greek word is phobos. So they're filled with phobos, and this is where we get our word phobia, right? So they're just filled with fear. They're hiding out, but what are they afraid of? Well, it says the Jewish leaders. Now, remember, the people inside this room, they are Jewish as well, right? And so why are they afraid uh, of the Jewish leaders, their, their own people? Well, because the Jewish leaders conspired to crucify Jesus. He was brutally murdered, and and the disciples saw that, and they were following him. And so they're thinking, we're next, right? It kind of a, you know, tense gathering here. And not only are they fearing for their lives, think about this, but they are filled with the crushing, crushing realization that the man that they put all of their hope in, all of their dreams and ambitions, they sort of pinned to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord, as the deliverer, and he's dead. And now they have no future. They have no hope. They have no plan B. 
It reminds me of a line from James Taylor's song, Fire and Rain. Sweet dreams and flying machines in pieces on the ground, just like their dreams are just in pieces on the ground before them. And so just imagine the anguish and the confusion they're experiencing. I mean, they're thinking like, I left everything for him, and now it's just, it was all in vain. They feel alone, and they're, they're fearing for their lives because the very people who killed Jesus are still alive. And the disciples are afraid that those same people come for them now, right? And, and so they're in the grips of fear. They're just waiting for the worst to happen. Ever been there? You're just waiting. Like the worst thing happened, then you're like, okay, what next? Like what's coming down the pipe now? Like what, like you're just waiting for that next shoe to drop, right? But even if that's not where you are today, fear, of course, is something we can all wrestle with. Now, some of that is natural and helpful as sort of a God-given response to help us avoid danger. And so, for example, think if you're like camping in the woods and you encounter like a giant grizzly bear. Fear is really helpful in that situation, right? Because that will help you avoid being eaten, right? So fear can serve a very useful function, but of course, fear can also be a very unhelpful thing. It can paralyze us, and more and more, this sort of unhealthy fear is what we're wrestling with in this society. Fear and its close cousin anxiety just become like epidemic in our culture. And, and I, I believe that so many of us are just living from fear to fear to fear. It may be sometimes, you know, it's the fear of death. Sometimes it's the fear of failure. Other times it's the fear of rejection. Sometimes it's the fear of abandonment. And actually, our society is now so deep in fear and anxiety that we're coming up with our new forms, our new acronyms for it even. So we've got this new one, FOMO. Heard of that? Fear of missing out. And so let's say you're on social media and you're kind of scrolling and you see, you know, your friends, you see they have some photo of like this nice dinner or an amazing vacation or like a cool concert or I don't know, some amazing whatever. And you start to worry, why am I missing out on that in my life? Then you start to kind of spin out from there like, what else am I missing out on? And you just kind of spiral out. See, we, we, we like inventing even new forms of fear. And if you go really deep down this rabbit hole, you can get to the place where you even be, get fear of fear itself. Or you can get anxious about the fact that you're anxious. Or you can even get anxious about the possibility that you might become anxious. Now, I've actually been so deep down that rabbit hole, and I can tell you, it is no fun. No me gusta. <laughs> so I know what it's like to be paralyzed by fear. And I also know what it's like to lock myself in. But here's the problem when you do that. When you lock yourself in, you've locked everyone else out. And that is not a good place to be. And so the disciples, they've locked themselves in this room and they're just trapped in their fears. And, and there's this dynamic at play that I want you to see here. Because one of the things that fuels fear is your focus. What you focus your mind on. So, so what are the disciples focusing their mind on? So, so their problems, right? Everything that might possibly go wrong. And what's interesting, so interesting, is that we actually have no textual reason to believe that the authorities were actually after them. There's no textual reason to think that. Uh, they're just kind of, you know, kind of appears, there's kind of what if, you know, what if the authorities come after us? What if they come and, and do to us what they did to Jesus? Now, of course, that's a, a rational concern, but they're whole, overlooking a whole other set of what ifs, like this. Like, what if Jesus really was who he said he was? What if 
He meant what he said when he said, if you tear this temple down, referring to his body, I will raise it again in three days. What if that? See, but they they can't even see that because they are so focused on their problems. So they're just trapped in their fear. But thankfully, we serve a God, this gracious God, who comes to us in our darkest moments. Let's pick up the story. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, John tells us here that the doors are locked and in part to underscore that this appearance of Jesus is actually miraculous. Now, we don't know if he uh, walked through a wall or if he just kind of materialized Star Trek style. Like, we don't, we don't know how he did it. We don't know how he did it. But what we do know is that Jesus' resurrected, glorified body obviously has some properties that our, our normal bodies do not, right? So this is something miraculous. Now, some might say, well, that's impossible. And my response is, well, why? Like, why think that? Now, think about this. If there is an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God who created the cosmos, who spoke it into being, do you really think it would be that hard for him to get into a locked room? Seriously, like, come on, come on. So I I just want to suggest sometimes we need to not just doubt our beliefs and believe our doubts. Sometimes we need to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. Now, in the span of two verses, we witness a profound transformation in the lives of, of these disciples. They went from just this paralyzing fear to peace, to joy, to courage. So how did that happen? Well, the first thing that transformed them was the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus, he came and he met them in their darkest moment. It says Jesus came and stood among them. Now, if Jesus was just a good teacher or just a philosopher or uh, just a rabbi or just a prophet or just a healer, he couldn't do this because, well, he'd still be in the grave, right? But because he is the risen Lord, he can transcend space and time and he can meet you in your darkest moment. No matter where you are, he can meet you in that place. And that is what he did for these first disciples. But notice, we we have to see this, this hinges on the resurrection. This hinges on the resurrection. Now, sometimes I hear people say, you know, well, I I don't believe in a literal resurrection. Uh, I believe it's more just sort of a metaphor for hope, that, that we should have hope in life. But let me ask, what hope is there if this didn't really happen? I mean, think about that. If this didn't happen, I mean, what hope is there? I mean, like Paul said, if this didn't happen, well, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die, for tomorrow we're worm food. Or in the words of uh, atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell, what this would mean is, is that, quote, all the labors of the ages, he's poetic, all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. What hope is that? Just saying. I, so, but here, here's the good news. Because Jesus did rise from the dead, that means he's alive and that he can come to you and meet you in your darkest moment. In your worst moments of fear and worry and anxiety, he can bring you peace. 
Now, the first time I, I studied this passage, I thought, okay, Jesus' presence, that is, that, that's the answer. That's what, that's what yielded this, sort of this transformation in the disciples' lives. And that's part of the answer, but there's actually a, a bit more to this story. Because if you look at this story carefully, when Jesus first appeared to them, they were actually still feared with, with fear. And actually, if you look at Luke's telling of the story, we read that they actually got more afraid because they thought he was a ghost. So here, here's the shift. Where it came was verse 20, and it says, he showed them his hands and his side. And then when he did that, they recognized him. They recognized his presence. And that's what led to this transformation. And so do you catch this distinction? That wasn't the mere presence of Jesus. It was when they recognized his presence. That's what led to this transformation in their hearts and lives. And, and, and so as a result of that, they're just filled with joy and peace. Now I'm passing. I just have to share just this, this quote about Jesus' wounds. This is from a commentator named Bruce Milne. He says, how important for our needy, hurting generation that Jesus is recognized by his scars. Think about that for a moment. That that is how the disciples recognize him. Oh, this is Jesus, his scars. And so here's how I might apply this for us. What if the church, these are my words now, what if the church in our time, what if we were to lead in our engagement with the world, what if we were to lead not with our strength, but with our weakness? with our wounds, with our brokenness? How, how might that help people actually recognize Jesus in and through us and among us? Just wanted to plant that seed. Now, here's, there's something interesting about this story, and, and actually many things. <laughs> but one of them is, is that the way Jesus appeared to his disciples was actually different than they expected. And so I just wonder how often Jesus appears to us in a different way than, than we expect. And, you know, we're filled with worry and anxiety and fear and stress, and we don't even know it's him. We don't even know, but he's right there with us. And, and here's what you have to know. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, that his promise to you is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll be with you always. And so, so if you feel like you're alone, like God's abandoned, you know that he's right there with you. You just might need his grace to help you perceive it, to, to really grasp that. And so for me, a great prayer, sometimes I pray, God, help me to see what you're doing in my life. Help me to perceive your presence with me. And I think that's just a wonderful prayer to pray. And there's a song we sometimes sing that has this line, um, Lord, let us become more aware of your presence. You see, that is such a good prayer because so often we need help with that. So not only did Jesus come to them with his personal presence and meet them in this surprising way, but what really made the difference is when they recognized his presence with them. And then he comes, and we read here that he blesses them with peace. When, it, when he appeared to them, it says, he said, peace be with you. So let's talk about this. Now, this was a standard uh, Hebrew greeting at the time. Uh, and even today, it's, it's a greeting used in the Middle East. But when Jesus spoke these words, you have to know this was far more than just kind of an ordinary greeting. And one way to see that is by the fact that these words of peace are repeated twice. And so that sort of tips us off. There's something deeper going on here. And I think the repetition of these words that must have prompted the disciples to think, wait a second, wait a second. Jesus promised us something before the cross. And actually John 14, 27, Jesus said this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. And by the way, how does the world give peace? Well, for example, it's the kind of peace that maybe is, comes from distraction. You know, for example, binge watching Netflix. And so that sort of peace will last as long as your show, if that. Uh, or another kind of peace the world might give is the peace of numbing, whether through alcohol or a drug or some compulsive behavior. Uh, and of course, that is just, just a dead-end street. So that's the kind of peace the world gives. But Jesus says, I've got something better than that. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. And, and, and what this refers to uh, is not just the absence of stress. That's how we tend to use the word. So it's not just the absence of stress, but this actually refers to well-being in its fullest sense or to flourishing the blessings of the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says shalom to his disciples, when he says, peace be with you, he's not just greeting them. He's not even just reassuring them. Rather, he is blessing them. He's literally blessing them with peace. He is delivering on his promise to give them peace. And now he can do that. Now he can do it because of what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. I want to read to you another quote from Bruce Milne. He says that Jesus' use of the word peace, quote, represented, now listen to this, this is a little bit meaty, but think about this. This represented the first truly authentic bestowal of shalom in the history of the world. Precisely because he has brought the kingdom of God into realization by his death and rising, now and only now is shalom a realizable blessing. Thus his shalom on Easter evening is the complement of his it is finished on the cross. For the peace of reconciliation and life from God is now imparted. Do you get what he's saying? Jesus is delivering. He promised peace, and now he is delivering on that promise because of what he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. He is saying, peace be with you. Shalom. Peace be with you. He blesses them with peace. Now, I think sometimes we can think of or read the promises of Jesus and think of them purely as sort of just like a like an otherworldly kind of thing, that that's just for some distant, far-off future. But I really want you to notice something about this. Jesus did not say, peace is coming to you, or, you know, one day you'll experience peace, you know, maybe when you're in the grave, RIP, you know. He did not say that. He says, peace be with you. I am giving you peace. I'm going to bring you peace. It is in the here and now. This is a promise for now. Amen. So not only does Jesus meet us in, in our darkest moments, he meets us in our deepest anxiety and he blesses us with peace. Now I think anyone can experience peace uh, when life is peaceful, right? Suppose you're like, in, I don't know, just, you're, you're in one of those moments of life where it's just like everything, all the stars are lined up. and just like everything's great. And maybe you're even like in one of those spa kind of places and they've got that kind of chill music going and you know, anyone can experience peace in a sense in that kind of situation, right? But what about when all hell breaks loose in your life? You see, Jesus wants you to know a peace that transcends your circumstances. That's not based on your circumstances. That transcends and empowers you to go through your circumstances with him. I, I, I want to uh, share with you a story to illustrate this powerful story. It's just been haunting me lately. This is... Um, from the uh, account of the, sorry, 
martyrdom of a man named Polycarp, better known as Saint Polycarp, and he was Bishop of Smyrna, which is present-day Izmir in, in Turkey. And he was actually discipled by the Apostle John, and this is actually the first account uh, of Christian martyrdom outside of the New Testament. Happened around 160 AD, and so there was this terrible persecution that broke out in the Roman Empire, and, and part of that's because as, as followers of Jesus, we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, and what that implies is that Caesar is not. And so the powers that be saw that as a threat because we wouldn't worship Caesar and our, our brothers and sisters wouldn't bow down to the Pantheon. And, and, and so there's this tremendous persecution that broke out against the church and Christians are being tortured and killed right and left. And, and uh, well, Polycarp, he was a prominent Christian leader. So as you can imagine, they, they came to arrest him and to get him to try to renounce his faith. And of course, in the hopes that this would undermine the church. Well, three days uh, before this happened, as he was praying, he had a vision and, and basically, the upshot of it is that God was warning him and telling him, Polycarp, you're going to be burned at the stake, just to kind of prepare his heart. And so one night, he was hiding out in a cottage, it says, and quote, the police and horsemen came at supper time with their usual weapons, as if coming out against a robber. That evening, they found him lying down in the upper room of a cottage. He could have escaped, but he refused, saying, God's will be done. When he heard that they had come, he went down and spoke with them. They were amazed at his age and steadfastness. And some of them said, why did we go to so much trouble to capture a man like this? And immediately he called for food and drink for them. Hear the generosity in that. Can you imagine that? People are coming to take him away and execute him. He says, let's, let's serve him a great meal. Let's just roll out the red carpet for these people. Amazing. And he asked, though, for an hour to pray uninterrupted. They agreed and he stood and prayed, so full of the grace of God that he could not stop for two hours. The men were astounded, and many of them regretted coming to arrest such a godly and venerable old man. When he finished, they brought him to the city, and, and so they brought him to the arena. You can probably imagine one of those pictures of the, of the Roman arena. And as he was bring, brought in, it says, a voice came from heaven, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw who had spoken, but our brothers who were there heard the voice. Now, Polycarp, he was brought before the proconsul, and, and, and the proconsul tried to pressure Polycarp to deny his faith, to renounce Christ. And he said, quote, have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say down with the atheists. Now, here's what's so fascinating. Back then, they referred to Christians as atheists because <laughs> they didn't worship Caesar, and they rejected the pantheon. Uh, amazing. So the proconsul continued, Polycarp, of course, refused. So the proconsul continued, swear, urged the proconsul, reproach Christ, and I will set you free. Now listen to Polycarp's reply. Eighty-six years I have served him, Polycarp declared, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? I have wild animals here, the proconsul said. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Now listen to Polycarp's reply. Call them. In other words, bring it. I'm ready. Now, and he continues, it is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. The proconsul pressures him further. If you despise the animals, I will have you burn. Polycarp replies, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire, of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. So they prepared everything. They were going to nail Polycarp's hands to the stake. And he said, you know what? Just 
don't even bother. I'll just stand here. Just don't worry about it. It's like, okay. So they prepare this, this enormous fire and it's raging. And this miracle happens because he's not burned. He's not burned. So eventually they have to bring out the executioner to kill him. He's just standing there praying, worshiping God and afterward. And he eventually they killed him with the sword. But, but so many people who are watching this, it says they're just so amazed that they're just like, wow. And the impression I get from the text is that some people probably turn to Jesus just as, as a result of seeing just the godliness and the grace and the peace and the courage of this godly man. And so I just shared that story to illustrate that the peace that Jesus wants to give you and me is not a flimsy peace. It just sort of evaporates the moment we get a bad email or like a scary text or someone kind of looks at us the wrong way. And he, he wants us to give you a peace so that you can face lions, so that you can face fires and not shrink back, so you can stand firm in your faith in Jesus Christ. He wants you to know a peace and confidence because of the presence of the Lord. Now we're running out of time, but there's just one more thing I want to uh, point out in this passage. And band, you can uh, come back up. I see, um, Jesus didn't come to give us peace just so that we could keep it to ourselves. And if there's, 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 if there's a real danger today in our approach to Christianity and to spirituality, it is that. To see this is, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive this, but I'm just going to keep it to myself. But you see, Jesus calls his followers here to a greater story, a greater purpose. Verses 21 and 22. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I I don't know about you, but if I was there, I might have been tempted to say, you know, Jesus is here. He's given us his peace. Let's just keep the doors locked and have a resurrection party. Let's just have a good time, right? (laughs) But he doesn't let them do that. He doesn't let them do it. By the way, think of a pond that has no outflow. Guess what? It's stagnant. It's yucky. It's just like, so we don't, that's what happens in your spiritual life. It becomes a swamp if all you do is receive, 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 and keep it to yourself. You become a swamp. God wants you to know life. That's what we're talking about in the series, know life. And that comes as the spirit and love and mercy and peace of God flows through you to the world around you. So important. God gives us his peace not just so we can keep it to ourselves, that we can bless others with it. So Jesus, in this story, he's sort of unlocking the doors because his peace, this is for the world. He wants to bring shalom to this entire planet. And so he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's sending us out as conduits of his love and mercy and peace in this world. And actually, history tells us, as we see with Polycarp, that, that, that these disciples, they moved from, from fear to, to gladness, to joy, to peace, to courage, and many of them even giving their lives because of the resurrection. And note this, it not only freed them from their fear, it freed them for the world. And Jesus' resurrection can do the same thing for you and I. Let's, um, let's pray together. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that um, you surprised us, God, in our darkest moments and um, and some, some of us here today, I, I think, probably are like in that locked room where we feel alone, we feel afraid, God, and, and it's like the doors are locked. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just show up in people's lives, even today, God, with your presence, that you would surprise people. Would you give us the grace to see you, to recognize you? And, and would you bless us afresh with your peace? Lord, would you show us how to receive that this morning?
whatever that looks like. We just say yes to you, Jesus. We just invite you in. We unlock the door of our lives, God. We just say, come in, Jesus. Just inhabit our lives. Would you flood us? Would you flood this room with your presence, your power, your peace? Lord, we just offer ourselves to you fresh. In Jesus' name.